Well, on the way here, uh, my wife is here, Charlene. Uh, on the way here, she said, what are you speaking on today? And I said, suffering. And she said, again, you know, why do you have to speak on suffering? And she was joking, I hope. <laughs> but here's the reality. Uh, as some, at this beginning of a book by Tim Keller, it says, this suffering seems to destroy so many things that give life meaning that it may feel impossible to go on. Suffering may destroy so many things that give life meaning that it may be impossible to feel like you can go on. And that's a quote from actually his father as his father was uh, dying. Tim Keller goes on to say that in the last weeks of his life, my father faced a great range of life-ending, painful illnesses all at once. He had congestive heart failure, three kinds of cancer, and even as he was dealing uh, with all of that, a gallbladder attack, uh, emphysema, and acute sciatica. At one point, he said to a friend, what's the point? He was too sick to do the things that made life meaningful, so why go on? The past year, it was about a year ago, uh, I buried uh, a church planter friend of mine. I still remember when he came, uh, at I think we, I went to him and we met and tell me about what you're hoping will happen. And he had this vision, uh, and he came into this church full of excitement about what God is going to do. And I remember sitting at the funeral service to say this was not part of his plan, uh, to leave behind two teenage kids and a wife and the church. You know, he's, uh, investing everything and in planting this church. This was not part of the plan. Since then, uh, okay, I've almost lost track. Uh, went to another, uh, funeral of a pastor friend. Uh, went to a, uh, he was, uh, 40, in his early 40s, and, uh, special needs child got up and, uh, his wife, I don't know, I was just watching her thinking, like, how do you carry on with, uh, three kids, one special needs child, and all of a sudden, you know, the, not only is your husband gone, but that income is gone and you've got the, you're a solo parent all of a sudden and you're carrying this incredible weight. And later on, uh, yet again, we were going to the funeral of a friend. Uh, what, this, we'll get happier, I promise you. But this is just life. We went to the funeral of a friend and, uh, she was, uh, she went on a vacation with her husband, Airbnb, suddenly died of a massive heart attack. So we're getting ready to go to her funeral. I still can't believe she's gone. And on the way there, Charlene comes and says, I think this other friend who was battling cancer uh, died. And so we're going to one funeral while I'm actually getting dressed and shaved and everything to go to that funeral. We hear of another friend passing away. And th- this is life. The reality is, uh, this is just, you know, it's, it's just been one of those years for me with all this suffering, uh, happening, mainly death, but, uh, we could go on and just say, uh, is anybody here going through suffering of any kind here this morning? Okay. Is anybody here, uh, got in their orbit people who are really struggling with different things? Probably here in the church, even there's people who are going through really deep waters, uh, I just know there's anxiety. I know there's people struggling with mental illness, with depression. I know there's people with uh, joblessness. 
I know there's people going through marital struggle or financial difficulty. Life is hard. And so the reason why I want to speak about suffering is because, uh, number one, I want to share a passage that is so meaningful to me. But I think the other reality is if you're not going through suffering now, I would like to tell you that you will escape suffering in the future, but here's the reality. All of us here will be uh, eventually, probably sooner rather than later, facing a period of suffering. We do not believe in the prosperity gospel. Well, I w- sometimes wish we could, but it's it's false. It's a false gospel. We do not believe that if you follow Jesus from that point on, you're exempt from suffering. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we face suffering? And if you have your Bibles with you, I want to, what, I'd like to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians. I've spent a good chunk of this year meditating on 2 Corinthians. And chapter 1 is especially, uh, I think, meaningful to me. There's a few highlights of this uh, book that are very meaningful to me. And chapter 1 is certainly up there. In 2 Corinthians 1, Paul is writing to a church that uh, is kind of ticked at him. And so he's writing to a church. He's trying to, his agenda is to mend fences to get them to repent and, and to restore the relationship with them. He's getting ready to visit them. And in chapter one, he's explaining why he's been delayed in visiting them. And I want to begin in verse three. This is right at the beginning after Paul's greetings to them. Paul says this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with a comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is God's holy word. Well, this is the reality that uh, we will get whammed. We will get, we will get absolutely slammed by life. You might have heard that God will never give you more than you can handle. I wish that that were true, but if you look at this verse, not even Paul would claim that this is true. In in verse 8, look at what Paul says. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, 
So we despaired of life itself. Paul himself says we were given more than we could bear. We were given uh, something, a burden that was so heavy that it was beyond our strength and it caused us to despair of life itself. Now I ask you, this is the Apostle Paul. This is somebody who is uh, godly. This is somebody who has spent years growing. And he says, things got so bad that we couldn't cope and we despaired of life. The Apostle Paul was told the day that he came to Jesus, or God, uh, the Lord said of this of Paul, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so Paul is in Asia. Uh, Paul is, has gone through an intense period of suffering. And what I want to tell you today is if you're suffering, you're in very good company. I think this is a church, actually. I'm very refreshed by this. This is a church where you can show up and be honest about what you're going through. Not every church is like that. This is a church where I think you can show up and say, hey, this is my life right now. It is not all glorious. Uh, right now I'm going through a very difficult period of time, and that's okay. Have you ever noticed how much of the Psalms are lament? The majority of the Psalms, more than any other category, are Psalms of lament. And the reason why is because life is hard. I heard Ray Ertland say that he used to wonder why Job was in the Bible, because it seems like such an extreme example of suffering. And he says, I've actually changed my view, and now I think it's in the Bible, because that kind of suffering is so commonplace that everybody's got a huge burden that they're carrying. And the question I have is, how do we get through the suffering? When we go through an intense period of suffering, what hope is there? And Paul doesn't give us easy answers. He doesn't say like, oh, it'll all be better. All you have to do is, uh, we have a friend who's right now going through sick and Char and I were talking about her this morning and she's like, I just got to stay positive. I believe as long as I stay positive that good things will continue to happen. That's not Paul's advice. He's not saying just stay positive. That's actually a heavy weight to bear. Sometimes, as Paul says, sometimes we can't bear that weight. But what can we do? Paul gives us three truths in this passage that we can cling to in the middle of suffering. And here's what I want to tell you. If you're going through a period of suffering, or if you're not now, you will be. Here's three truths that I want you to cling to that we'll all need eventually in the middle of suffering. Here's the first truth. God is a compassionate, encouraging God. The first truth to cling to in suffering is this. God is a compassionate, encouraging God. Where does Paul turn to in his suffering? He doesn't turn to circumstances. He doesn't turn to people. Which, by the way, I think it's okay to turn sometimes. You know, if you're going through a period of suffering, it's it's okay to turn to people and say, "Hey, I need help. I'm, I need. I I know I need support right now. Rally around me." Here's the problem, though: people will let you down. We need to do that, but people will not be enough in that hour of need. So, where does Paul turn to? Paul turns to God, and particularly to the character of God. In verse three, he says, "Blessed be." the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
And here's what he says about God. He is the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. When we go through suffering, the question we ask is this, where is God? And it's very tempting to believe in our suffering that God does not care. That we're alone, that God has somehow removed himself from what we're going through. And Paul here says, God cares. When you're going through suffering, you never have to ask yourself, where is God? Paul says, God cares. And it's interesting what Paul says here. Paul didn't say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father who gives you mercies and who will comfort you. That would be okay, but Paul says something even better. It's not just what God does. It's actually who he is. It's not just God's activities. God's very identity and nature is that he is the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You know, I I don't know if other fathers, I know there's a few fathers here today. Have you ever noticed when your kids get hurt? Who do they go running to? Am I alone? Mom, right? It's not fair. Because here's the thing. I can comfort my children. But there's a big difference because Charlene does not just comfort our children. She does that. But she is actually the mother of comfort. Like, comfort isn't just what she does, but it's actually who she is. And this is the truth, I think, what Paul's saying to us today. Look, not only does God... Is God somebody that will give you comfort? He is by definition the God of all comfort and the Father of all mercies. And I, I looked at what this means. I think of comfort being, you know, you scrape your knee and you go running to mom and mom uh, hugs you and says, there, there, it'll be okay. And just, or sometimes doesn't even say anything. She just holds you and kind of, you know, doesn't say anything, but just holds you. And you just feel instantly comforted in her presence. I thought maybe that's what comfort means. And I think there's an element of that, that God certainly welcomes us and God just, we can run to God and God is the God of all comfort. But the word comfort here actually doesn't just mean like a here, here, like a pat on the back when you're hurting. The word comfort here has the idea of strengthening weak knees and sagging, uh, sustaining sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. In other words, the comfort here isn't just like, I will, I will commiserate with you. I will hold you while you hurt. The comfort here is actually, not only will I do that, but I will give you the strength that you need to keep going so that you can get up again and face the challenges of life. That's who God is by definition. He receives us and he receives our hurts and, and he comforts us and he's got mercy for us in our struggles and our difficulties. One of the verses that has become very precious to me is Psalm 56, verse 8. 
It says this, you have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? One of my friends, I was supposed to be with him on Wednesday for a coffee at 7 o'clock in the morning. And he texted me about 3 in the morning. And he said, I haven't gotten to sleep yet. I'm having one of those nights. I'm tossing and turning. My mind is buzzing. I just can't even go to sleep. And so I won't be meeting you at 7. Psalm 56, 8 says, Every time my friend was flipping over in bed with anxiety, God was keeping count of those tossings. His lying awake at night matters so much to God that every time he's flipping in the mattress worrying, God's like, okay, that's, that's number 42 times. He's done that 40. God is taking notice. God cares. I don't know if some of you cry a lot. I have a suspicion that some of you do. Probably, I mean, if if you're like my wife and I, uh, she's taught me to cry. She cries a lot more than I do, and I've come to appreciate that part of her. Again, it goes with being the, uh, you know, I can comfort. She is actually comfort personified. But Psalm 56, 8 says, you've put my tears in your bottle. And what that means is if you're if you cry, every time you cry, the psalmist says, it's almost like God cares so much about every tear. That he comes up to your face and as the tears come down, he's like, he's scooping them in a little bottle because your tears are so precious to God. That's how much God cares. Are they not in your book? And what the psalmist is saying here is, look, you need to understand how can you face suffering? You will face suffering. How can you face suffering? You've got to hold on to who God is. That God cares about what you're going through. That God cares so much that he knows Every sleepless night you've had, every tear you've shed, God welcomes you. God gives you mercy in your struggle. He is the God of all comfort. The greatest evidence of this is Jesus, man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, a man who took upon himself our sin, who who actually entered this world of pain and went to the cross, uh, in many ways experiencing the suffering of our sinfulness on himself, bearing that sin on the cross. God himself entered this world of suffering out of love so that he could save us. So God cares. God is a compassionate, encouraging God. So are any of you going through difficulty right now? I want you to come to God this morning. I want you to Run to him knowing he cares about you. I want you just to rest in the assurance that he's, he knows everything you're going through. He, he's collecting your tears in a bottle. He cares intensely about you. Here's the second truth that Paul says we can cling to. First is who God is. Second truth is this. The suffering we face is purposeful. The suffering we face is purposeful. Okay, so when you go through suffering, what do you say? I wish I knew why, right? At least, we say, what do we say? We say a number of things. Where is God? Like, has God abandoned me? Why am I going through this? And one of the big things we wonder is the question why. As Nietzsche said, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. 
If we understand that our suffering is purposeful, we're actually able to go through the suffering a whole lot better. That's why childbirth is so amazing, right? Uh, anyone that says women are the weaker gender obviously hasn't seen a childbirth because every guy's a quivering mess, like a, we're wimps, like a cold is enough to kill any guy, right? And then we watch you women give birth and we're like, we are not worthy. Like, this is amazing. But here's the thing. Women never say, why am I going through this pain? Because at the end of it, they hold the baby and they say it was so worth it. Can we do this again? Right? When suffering is purposeful, when suffering is purposeful, we can endure the suffering because there's something that is worth it. And here Paul says that there's a number of purposes that God, your suffering is actually accomplishing something. And one purpose in verse 9 is clear. The end of verse 9 says, that was to make us rely on not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Why do we suffer? One of the reasons we suffer is God is teaching us not to rely on ourselves, but instead to rely on God who raises the dead. Look, if you and I learn reliance upon the Lord instead of relying on ourselves through suffering, that is a gift that we desperately need. If God teaches us to stop relying on ourselves, instead of that, he teaches us to rely on him. That is an incredible gift. Tozer said this, how completely satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. Friends, I hope you're getting to the point as you suffer to learn to turn from your puny strength and instead just cast yourself on the God who raises the dead and say, why would I ever rely on my strength when I could rely on God himself? That's one reason why we suffer. But in 4 to 6, Paul gives us another reason why we suffer. He says, basically, that when we suffer, in verse 4, God comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with a comfort that we ourselves have been comforted by God. When we receive comfort, we're able to comfort others who've gone through the same thing. So I told you about my friend who, the church planter who died of cancer. One of my other friends was a missionary to Mozambique and his, his son came down with cancer and they had to come back to sick kids and his son is doing really well now, completely recovered from cancer. So praise God that all worked out. But we went to visit my friend who's suffering with cancer, and I go there like, oh man, like, I'm so sorry to hear, I'm praying for you. My friend's like, Daryl, shut up, move out of the way. And my friend's like, let me tell you about when our family dealt with our son uh, Gabriel's cancer. And he was able to comfort my friend with a comfort that he himself had been comforted with in a way that I couldn't. And have you discovered that? Like, people who've gone through difficult things, they're able to comfort you because they've been through it themselves. Charles Spurgeon was one of the greatest preachers of uh, the 1800s in London, England. You've heard of him? Anybody heard of Charles Spurgeon? He suffered with depression his whole life. Which, by the way, should give us 
if any of you struggle with depression, it should give you, or anxiety, it should give you great comfort uh, that one of God's choicest servants struggled with depression his whole life. And one day he was preaching, and he said this in his sermon. He said, I heard my old, my own chains clank when I tried to preach to fellow prisoners in the dark, but I could not tell for why I was brought into an awful horror of darkness for which I condemn myself. And so he's sharing very vividly, like sometimes I feel like I'm in chains, the chains of depression. I feel like I'm in a horror of darkness and I'm condemning myself. You know, why am I going through this depression? And he was preaching and he was criticized for sharing sometimes about his depression, about his struggles. And that week somebody came to meet him in his office who heard him preach and share honestly about his depression. And here's what the guy said, came into Spurgeon's office that week. He says, I've never before in my life heard anybody who spoke who seemed to know my heart. Mine is a terrible case. And on Sunday morning, you painted to me the life. You preached as if you had been in my soul. The guy said, I've never actually felt, I'm struggling with depression. I've never actually felt like any preacher understood what I was going through. But last Sunday, I understood that you knew what I was going through. And Spurgeon said, by God's grace, I saved that man from suicide and led him into gospel light and liberty. But I know that I could not have done this if I had not myself been confined in the same dungeon in which he lay. I tell you the story, speaking to pastors, but I think it applies to all of us. I tell you this story, brethren, because you sometimes may not understand your own experience. And the perfect people may condemn you for having your suffering. But what do they know of God's servants? You and I have to suffer much for the sake of people in our charge. Friends, God will use your suffering. God will use your suffering to help others. One of the reasons why you're suffering is because God wants to use your life so that you can provide comfort and strength to other people who are going through exactly what you're going through. And when you receive comfort from God, one of the tasks we have is to collect that comfort so that you're ready to share that same comfort with others who need encouragement because you understand what they're going through. I want to, I don't know you, I don't know this church, and, and so I hope you'll permit me the, uh, to permission just to speak and challenge you for a minute. One of the things that God might use most powerfully in your life to bless others in this church aren't your strengths, but are actually your weaknesses and your suffering. And I know it's, it's a scary thing to show up in church because I want, who here wants God to use their strengths? I do, right? Like, God, you're giving me these strengths. Would you just use this? I know I'm strong in these areas. You know what God might use most powerfully in this, in your life to bless others in this church is actually your weaknesses. For you to show up honestly and to let other people see God show up in your life at your weakest points. And then to share honestly. You know, how many times have you been in a church where somebody shares honestly what they're going through and you're like, oh, you too. Like I thought I was all alone. And now I know I'm not alone. And then all of a sudden it's safe for you to struggle. And so can I just encourage you? Would you pray that God would use your weaknesses? Okay, because... 
let's be honest, if you're like me, you have a lot of them. And so why not pray that God would use them? Why not pray that God would use your sufferings to bring glory to himself, to bring comfort to others? Here's what we can cling to in our suffering. Number one, God is an encouraging, comforting God. Number two, God will use your suffering. God will use your suffering to draw you to himself. And God will use your suffering to bless others. But finally, in verses 7 to 11, not 7 11, but verses 7 to 11, suffering builds community. In verse 7, he says this, kind of piggyback on my last point. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Here's a weird thing, right? Somebody's suffering, and they open up their lives and tell you they're suffering, and then you begin to share in their sufferings. What happens when they come in uh, through the other side of that suffering? You get to share in their comfort too. Because you've walked through their suffering with them, you get to experience the comfort on the other end. In verse 11, he says this, You must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul says, look, our suffering is an invitation for prayer, that as we open up our lives, you have the opportunity, you must help us by prayer, so that many on the other side will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted through us. What he's saying is this, as George Guthrie writes, Through sharing with another person our pain, our own limitations, our needs, and our hopes, we extend an offer, help me, embrace me, walk with me, and allow me to walk with you in community. When we open up our suffering to others, it builds community. I I once spoke to somebody, I was sharing my struggles, we were going through a pretty intense period of suffering. I was sharing my struggles with him, and he's heard everything. And at the end of it, I just felt so vulnerable, because I've just opened up my life. I've, I mean, I've just opened up the worst about me to him. And I'm feeling so vulnerable. And I said to him, you must think this much of me right now. And he said, he looked at me, he was shocked. He said, why would you think that? He said, here's a thing that God does when somebody opens up their life of struggles, when somebody opens up their life of weakness to somebody else, does it weaken your esteem of them or does it increase your esteem? He said, I actually think more of you now because that's how God works. When we open up our struggles and our sufferings to others, it builds community. We think it's going to isolate us. We think people will look down on us. But when done appropriately, it actually builds community and it builds prayer for each other. And we get to rejoice with each other. And so here's my big idea today. God is a God of all comfort and encouragement. He has a purpose for your suffering. And your suffering is building community. I am not telling you today that you won't go through suffering. You will. But what I'm telling you is this. When you go through suffering... Hold on to these rock-solid truths about what God is doing in your suffering. Remember that you worship a Savior who saved us actually through suffering. Remember that we are called to take up our cross. We're called to a life of suffering. 
And yes, one day our suffering will be removed, but that day is not here yet. And so hold on to this truth. God is a God of comforting, comfort and encouragement. He has purposes for your suffering, and your suffering will build community. And so, Father, I pray for this church. I pray for those right now who are going through a period of suffering. I pray that right now that they would hold on to the truth about who you are. God, that you care deeply about what they're going through. Lord, that you not only comfort and give mercy, but you are the God of all comfort and encouragement. I pray right now that they would sense that you're collecting their tears in a bottle. Lord, that there's not one tear that's been shed that you're not aware of. Father, there's not one night that they've tossed and turned in bed that you have not kept track of every tossing and turning. Lord, you care. You care for those of us who have prodigal children. Lord, you care for those of us who are have had a, a relational breakdown that breaks our hearts. Lord, you care about those of us who are going through illness and pain. You care deeply. Father, I, I thank you for the reality that you have a purpose in our pain. Lord, so often our suffering seems purposeless. But Lord, if it teaches us to rely on your strength, And Father, if you can use the comfort that you give us to comfort others, we will be very grateful. And so, Lord, teach us to draw near to you. Teach us to rely not on ourselves, but instead to rely on you alone. Father, I pray in the same way that you use Spurgeon and his depression to help somebody with depression, in the same way that you use my friend whose son had cancer to help somebody who was going through cancer, Lord, would you help us so that our suffering would bless other people and comfort them. Lord, finally, I pray that comfort would build community in this church. I pray this would be a church where we can show up and be honest about what we're going through. And then, Lord, as we pray for each other, as we share in each other's burdens, that we would also share in the comfort on the other end. Lord, strengthen this church. I pray especially draw near to those of us who are suffering today. In Jesus' name, amen.